0: Skyline, so glad you're here this morning as we wrap up our series on discipleship begins with beholding and it's been such a a joy to share this with you and really to share the heart of our church and who we are and what we're about and um If you've been around, you've heard us say that we're a worshiping community, we're a disciple-making community, and we're a generational community. Uh, But this idea that discipleship begins with beholding really is the first uh, step of that. It is we are foundationally, before we're anything else, we're a worshiping community. Because it's the primary thing that God has called us to do is to come to know him. God, we know, wants to reveal himself to human beings And so we worship because we believe that worship creates the context for God to reveal himself. It creates the environment where he is free. To be who he is and do what he does in groups of people without us deciding, without us getting in the way. So we just worship to create that context. So we believe that disciple making doesn't begin with the acquisition of information, right doctrine, or behavior modification. Just learning to do the right thing so you consider yourself a good girl or a good boy and you score all these points and we get to heaven God's like good job you were good no, no we say discipleship gets built on the revelation of who Jesus is and any goodness that comes in our lives and through our lives comes from that revelation changing us on the inside second Corinthians 3 right we're being transformed from glory to glory as we gaze on Jesus as we encounter him as we reflect him And so this this last week is really, what does it look like to build a church that beholds, that its core purpose is actually to see the face of Jesus, to come to know him, to have intimacy with God, three in one, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. How do we not um, let go of any one of those persons or realities, and actually we say, we want the whole meal, God. We want everything you have for us. And it's interesting because in this book that I've encouraged you to read that we're basing this series off of, it actually has communities that behold. And it's really interesting because I struggled with that word this week because I think that word has actually come to mean a lot of things that aren't actually meant in the Bible when the Bible talks about the church. And, and I think it's interesting, because I think if we're not careful, we'll miss, uh, I guess we'll underestimate the effect of our culture, the culture we live in, and the words that we use, and we'll import the culture that we live in into the church and call it the same thing. When it's not, it's, it's radically different. Um, Church is radically different from community by the world's standards. And I think it's interesting, I think there's this cultural phenomenon that you might not even be aware of how it's shaped our hearts and minds and how we see this word community. And it probably didn't start here, but this is part of it. All my Gen Xers go, yeah, that's right, we ruined community. Good job. I'm just joking. Uh, But it's interesting that somewhere along the way, our cultural entertainment moved from families to friends. Like Like, TV ceased to show family units living together, and they started to show friends living together, working together, playing together, almost always devoid of any actual responsibility or obligation. We started to see communities of choice. Community is something I build to fulfill my needs, my longings, my self-actualization. right? So, you notice in the show Friends, you're wondering, like, they never work. <laughs> How, how's their money? Like, they can afford to live in New York City and just hang out in a coffee shop all day. And it actually, like, made this picture that the best life is to sit around a coffee shop with your friends all day long and just talk about nothing. Seinfeld. I mean, I love Seinfeld, Friends. I, I love the show about nothing. But we know life's not about nothing. It's about something. And, in fact, it's about someone. Um. And so I think we have to actually deal with our own hearts and our own minds and our own lives and our own practice around this idea. And so here's what I want to do. I'm going to say some things today that's probably going to bother you. It might offend you. Um, the good thing is I'm going to go home and you're going to go home. It'll be okay. We'll, we'll live, right? Uh, but see if you can do this. See if you can practice this, this discipline this morning while I talk. See if you can get through this entire sermon without saying, yeah, but in your mind. Yeah, but yeah, but or what about? Don't you love the what aboutism? What about you know, like the Pharisees? What about this, Jesus? What about that? What about this? What about that? See if you can just get through it, like suspend your disbelief and just receive it. See if the Holy Spirit has anything to say with you. And here's what I uh, say to you: um, I don't need you to agree with me this morning, right? Like I just, I just want to ask you to seek to understand. And this is important because what I need you to do, uh, both if you go to church here or if you are a visitor, I, I, I need you to understand why we have formed our church the way we formed our church in the last five years. I need you to know why we say yes to certain things and no to other things, that we actually have a priority and it matters. And here's the beautiful thing. Ultimately, our practice will not be judged by how well it hits you, but by the fruit of it. Every practice in our life will be judged by the fruit it produces. Um, And here's what I know about how we form this community. The fruit in this community over the last five years is beautiful and lasting and transformational, and I wouldn't change it for anything. So I'm not trying to change your mind. I just want to present something to you, because I think what we have to ask is, does our practice of all things does our practice, but especially of being the church, does it produce the works of the kingdom? And it's so funny that we, we got a group of young guys that meet early, an hour early um, to read the Bible together and pray and talk. Um, and they, they're talking about the works of the kingdom. Does, does our practice produce salvation, healing, deliverance, reconciliation, restoration? Can it cast out demons? Can it heal the sick? Can it raise the dead? That's the kind of community Jesus died for. He wanted to create this kind of place. And so what I think what's interesting is, um, John Tyson said this recently, if you listen to any of his stuff, he said, uh, secularism is the privatization of faith. That's the ultimate goal of secularism, is to shrink your faith down to where it's just you and your heart, and it has no impact Right On the public sphere, on your job, on politics, on anything else, it's shrinking. But what I've noticed in many ways is the church has reflected that as we've tried to reach into secularism, we've continually shrunk faith down to this private thing. We've agreed, and we, we just keep, it just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller groups. We've actually tried to reach secularism by becoming like it, and I think in so doing, we've lost a lot. But we build community in that way. The, the other thing is, it's interesting what we build community around as a church. We really built the church around teaching, right? Find the best teacher in your city, gather around, and enjoy it. We, we've built our community around community, right? We've, we've said, like, well, I want to build a community around what? Community. We build community around doctrine and theology, We just build a church around we all agree about everything, right? We build community around lifestyle, around um, our socioeconomic class, all these kinds of things. This is what we do, and it it just kind of starts to come naturally to us because it's the world we live in. It's like a fish in water, right? It just doesn't know any different because it's just the way things are, but Jesus never settles for the way things are. He didn't settle for this is Jewish culture, this is Roman culture, this is the earth. He said, no, 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 I'm praying, Father, that you would bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I want your kingdom to change this, this place, right? So here, here's what we're going to walk through. We're going to walk through, before we even talk about church as like this beholding community, I, I just want to walk through what I believe the church is. And again, there, there's like um, going to be a lot of this. You're going to say, "But it's more," and I'm going to say, "Yeah, but it's not less." All right? It may be more than this. It may be more, um, uh, you know, like broad and mysterious, all those things. But um, that's why you have 50 minute sermons, is because I try to answer all those things, right? So I'm going to try to not answer every objection or chase everything. I'll, I'll try to keep it short. And the congregation said, "Amen, amen." <laughs> Give them a chance. Um, okay. <laughs> inside joke alright okay so um, our church we want to fundamentally build our church around Jesus and I know you're just like yeah duh but I want to tell you how hard that is it's it's actually really difficult to build a community around a person who existed 2000 years ago who left to heaven sent his spirit to live in us and actually keep him as the center of everything we do Keep his life, teaching, death, resurrection, ascension, future, all of that at the center of this little community. Not let anything else get in the way. Not allow our own agenda, not allow ourselves. You know, because it's like we saying this, I lay my whole life down. You're like, that's what Christianity is. Anyone who wants to come after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow. You give up your preferences, your ideas, your ways to follow Jesus. And you say, yes, Lord. Here I am, send me. Whatever it is, I say yes, if it's you speaking. Um, so th- this thing, the church, What what is what is the church? I think it's fascinating to ask ourselves, what is the church? Is it a building? Is it a people? Is it all these things? And I, and I just want to give you three things that I think uh, really, if you absorb these ideas, they can radically change what this thing is. Now, we, we know the church is a people, right? But we also know the church is a place. It's the place wherever the people gather. So every place where the people of God gather and do these kinds of things. But there's also ways that Christians gather that aren't actually the church. Because we'll just call anything church. We're like, well, two or three are gathered in my name. I'm there also. And you're like, yeah, he's there. But that doesn't make it the church. It's a really interesting thing when you actually dig into what constitutes the church. Um, So here's the three things that I think are super key. These three ideas, ransom, adoption, and family. I think wherever you have a people who have been ransomed by God, they've been adopted and they become a family. That is the church, right? And I think it's interesting that the language of family is so big in the New Testament. Why? Because family is not by choice. You get the family you get, what do you get called to do honor your mother and father so that you may live long in the land doesn't say honor them if they're honorable doesn't say honor them if they're christians honor them if they treat you well it says honor them right it's this this crazy thing how many of us were like man if i could build a family from scratch i wouldn't build the one i got i won't have you raise your hand Family is hard. It's interesting that Jesus says, Guess what? My church is going to look like a family with all the good and bad that goes along with it. Um, So, this idea, ransom, right? What does the scripture say? And they sang a new song. This is Revelation. You're worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God. You ransomed. God bought you, which means He, what? He possesses you. You belong to him. He ransomed you from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Our first thing when we come to the church is to say the church was not a human idea. We we don't get to choose our version of what the church is. We get swept in, purchased, deposited, right? I purchased you and I put you here because you belong to me. You've been ransomed. And even the word ekklesia, which is the Greek word which describes the assembly, it, it's, it's this idea that you don't just show up as the ekklesia, you've been summoned out. You've been called out of the world into the church. You don't just decide, do I show up to the church or not? It says, no, 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 I've called you in. Right? It says, I've called you out of the world and into this. I have ransomed you, you belong to me. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 3, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Jesus died on the cross, not to just to have a community of people, but to have a family. And it literally says that he sets the orphan in what? Not in community, in families. The church is best described as a family. And I think it's described that way so that we would know we're in it forever for good and bad, and we just, we, <laughs> we stick it out. We fight the good fight, all those things. So what does it say here? For as many as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So when you were saved into Jesus, you weren't just saved into his singular life, you were saved into his family reality. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I love when Paul says earlier, every, uh, every family, this whole family in heaven and earth, you have a heavenly family right now and you have an earthly family and someday those families will come together and they'll be forever. It's this beautiful picture of family. And again, we have to get this metaphor right because if we're not careful, we'll think we choose in and out of things. that we have some say in what this looks like when God says "No, no no I've shown you what it looks like you might not always like what it looks like or what it feels like or the experience of it and we could spend all day talking about church baggage I'm a pastor and a pastor's kid so I'll put mine up against just about anybody's right we we probably got a bunch in here and yet What you find, Paul in in the book of Corinthians, this super messy story, you know what he never says? He never says, This community is so bad, what you should do is move to Ephesus. That church is super healthy. No, 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 he says, You've got to work it out. You're a family, and families don't leave, not godly ones. Like right now, you stay, stay, stay in it, stay in it, right? Okay, so this family metaphor keeps going for through him. We have access by the spirit to the father. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. This language of household, of brothers and sisters, of father, all this stuff. It really matters that the church is a family that's called out of the world and centered on Jesus And this is really interesting, right? So this is, if this is what it is, then how's the church formed? How does this mystery get done? And I, I love this. John 1, yet to all who received him, to who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You got the right to be in his family. Children born not of natural descent or human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is really key. The church gets created by the Holy Spirit. That's it. So he formed the church in the book of Acts. He, that this, this idea of this birth of the church in Acts 2, not by human decision, a husband's will. It's born of God. He chooses what, what the church, how the church gets formed, when it gets formed, what it looks like, what happens inside. Are you catching the theme that he's God and we're not? We're not. And, and here's the thing. Our lives, friends, are so lived by our preferences. Like we have more individual choice than any human beings in the history of the world. Like right now, we, we'll walk out this door and we'll have any number of hundreds of options of food. Any, any hundreds of roads to get to hundreds of... I mean, it's like all this stuff that you just think that just wouldn't make any sense to a first century Jew. Right? And so we have to start to disenculturate our hearts out of being an American Western person into the mindset what does it actually mean to deny myself to pick up my cross to be a part of a family that I didn't choose I didn't get to choose but it's formed by salvation the Holy Spirit forms the family Jesus answers again I love it I tell you the truth no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born by water and the spirit flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again the wind blows wherever it pleases Here's the thing, the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit wants. <laughs> he works in mysterious ways, he creates mysterious things, and, and we are along for the ride. We give up the control of our lives, and again, this is a, a totally, like, so much of the world right now has almost zero control over their life. We have so much control. It's really hard for us to join a community where God says, give all that up when you walk through the door. You're part of a different kind of community. You're not in charge. You're not in control. Your preferences have to take a back seat, right? Paul says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing with grumbling or complaining, but consider yourself, right? It's like it's this whole thing, lay down your rights, Lay down uh, your worldly identities. You're really important out there, but in the church, you're just a guy. You're just a gal. You're just a human being, and that's enough to have value in the body of Christ. You're an image bearer. That's what matters. It doesn't matter how much money you make. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter how badly you fail over and over and over again. When you walk through the doors in the church, you are a brother or sister in Christ, and you have immense value to this place. And through you, I am learning how to be like Jesus. And through me, you're learning how to be like Jesus. As I fail and screw it up and drop the ball, you're like, I'm so glad that Jonathan isn't God. Because we'd be in trouble. I'm so glad that my faith doesn't rest on him, it actually rests on Jesus. So I can love him and let him be an imperfect, screw-up pastor who just loves Jesus. Because this thing isn't about a leader, a human leader, it's about him. What is the church? So we see what it is, how it's formed, what is it called to do? And again, I know it's more, but I know it's also not less. It's written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. When Jesus got to self-describe his family, he says, this is the kind of family I'm calling into existence. One who prayer would be at the center of it. What is prayer? Prayer is relationship to God, that's all. So he's like, I am calling a family who will be in relationship with me. I want an ongoing, active, living walk with my people. That's that's what I want. I want them to be about prayer. And what does he do in that passage? He turns over the tables. Why? Because the temple had become about buying and selling and about proving and about gaining and about notoriety and all this stuff. And he's like, this is not what it's about. But what I love it. He's like, my house will be called a house of prayer. It's actually called to be a place where people meet God. Acts 2, we know this passage of scripture, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking bread, and of prayer. And sometimes we think prayer is like and prayer. Maybe that feels like the last thing. But, but every other text in the, in the New Testament says prayer is the primary practice of the church when they gather. And all the other stuff is just family life, and that's why we have to see our beholding practice in the church is the center of the body. All the other stuff is just family life. What do families do? They eat together, they talk together, they travel together, they love each other, they they try to bless each other, they forgive each other, they get mad at each other. (laughs) It's like what? Like Paul's just like the rest of this is just family life. It's not actually that complicated especially if you keep the thing at the center in the right place, if Jesus is actually the center. But what also happens, every day they continue to meet together in temple courts, right? They broke bread, they praised God, and the Lord added to their number. So there's this thing of this, like, called out of the world into the church and, and sent out of the church into the world. And, uh, one church we we've, uh, have some relationship with the upper room, they, they call it the in-and-out lifestyle, Right, In for presence and power and, and family life and out with the gospel, out with the fruits of the spirit to live joy, peace, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, self-care, all that stuff in the world, in public so that people might see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Right, So it's like this in and out. The church is called to do this thing. And you can't just be out and you can't just be in doesn't work that way God's like no I called you yeah like you can't just always be on mission out there on your own your individual thing he's like no no no. I called a family right like he's like you're like a workaholic you're like a dad who travels all the time for where he's never home like don't be that be home too but don't just get used to being home. Don't get lazy. I need you out there. You know, it's like this whole thing where this we're worried about, like, we've got to find this balance, right? The pendulum swinging back and forth, but it's this in and out lifestyle that God has called us to. What does the church do? And this is really fascinating. So this is where you start to see, is this a church? Right? Is this a church? Um, and so one of the things i see when i if i i'm going to say like okay is this little gathering of people at church one i'll say who gets to come and who gets to participate when they gather because jesus says guess what when i birth the church here's what it's going to look like i'll pour out my spirit on who all people who's going to prophesy sons and daughters Old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So you start to see this theme that arises in scripture. Where these things are happening, you can call this a church. Right? Where the spirit is pouring out and you see his work, his gifts, his fruits in a community. You can start to call that a church. Uh, But the other thing is, is I I started to ask the John 1 question again, which I say, who built this thing and why? What was the intention of building this thing? If it's just a small group gathered with people who all look the same, act the same, make the same amount of money, like the same food, you're like, that's a group of friends, but it's not a church, friends. It's not the church. It's just people who love each other. And guess what? Non-Christians do that too. And sometimes non-Christians are better friends than Christians. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. I mean, I do Like, that small group's nicer to each other than the other one. Um, so you start to look and say, like, okay, what what does this look like? Right? Matthew, um, uh, let's see here. Got another one. So back there. So Joel 2, Acts 2, right? So they start to say, here's what the church looks like. It looks like. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and Arabs and Cretans and people from Rome. How, how do we know it's the church? We know it's the church because it begins to reflect the world that God created. He said, "My house will be a house of prayer for what all nations." So you start to say, if a church doesn't start to represent the tapestry of what God created, you start to wonder, is it really a church anymore? Or is it just a group of people who all agree about stuff and they love Jesus, but you start to say like, okay, wait, this has got to be a church. For it to be a church, it's got to start to reflect God's heart in these things. You know, in Christ, there's neither uh, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, Um, Which is interesting. because what that means is in the church, there's Greeks and Jews, males and females, slaves and free people. Right? In that little church in Galatia, they're like, guess what God's doing? He is bringing people of high status and low status. He's bringing men and women. He's bringing prostitutes and tax collectors. He's bringing Roman soldiers who everybody hated, terrified of. And that guy shows up to your church. You're like, what kind of family is this? where anyone can come. Where if I had to choose, it would not look like this. It would be much easier. It would be much simpler. It would be much cleaner. Right? So you start to say, what does it look like? It looks like all people, all tribes all kinds of thoughts all kinds because the, the thing is Jesus doesn't ask us to agree on everything out there he asks us to agree on him the church is an, a place and a people who are all in agreement about Jesus and what's fascinating is if you make it about that unity becomes really easy because we just stop worrying about all the other thoughts you have about all the other things because they don't matter I, I mean, I don't want to offend you, but I, same for me. My thoughts on all that stuff don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But my thoughts on Jesus, what I think about him, who he is, it really matters. So we know that something's the church, because the, it's centered on Jesus. It's marked by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So you have the gifts and the fruit. You have a communal life that reflects the biblical testimony, which starts to look like this thing that Jesus created in the book of Acts. And what do you see in the book of Acts? You see the craziest collection of people who would gather together and share meals. And it's like at a table would be this vast gulf between people in all their daily lives. These people would never hang out unless Jesus is Lord. It's the only thing that would bring them together around a table, Gentile and Jew, right? All this stuff. So I love Acts, because you can go in Acts, you can go from the upper room to Pentecost, the gospel goes out, they have persecution, Saul gets converted, the Gentiles come in, you have an Ethiopian eunuch, you have Peter's vision, you have the Jerusalem's council, right? So you have this this thing going on, and why this is important, because in the book of Acts, what happens is the Jewish Christians sink back into their culture of what it means to be a community. Peter gets a vision from God because God's like, listen, that vision of what you've been practicing is not my vision, right? Because he gets this vision, this this sheet comes down from heaven, it has reptiles and all these birds, and all this stuff, and he says, eat. And he's like, no, 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 you're not going to get me that way. (laughs) I've never eaten any of that stuff. And so what God's saying is like, hey, what got you here will not get you there, right? Like the, the way you've been living is actually opposite of where we're going and so then Cornelius shows up. His whole household gets saved. They all get filled with the Holy Spirit. They all speak in tongues just like Pentecost. And what, what do the, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem say, wait, if they got the Holy Spirit and we got the Holy Spirit and the law couldn't save us, maybe this thing is bigger than we think it is. Right? Because they're like, because Peter literally, he goes to the Jerusalem, he's like, he goes to Cornelius' house and he literally says, he goes, you know, it's unlawful for a Jew to visit a Gentile or to, to like come into their house so it's kind of fascinating what you think of is it's probably the first time Peter's ever been in the house of a Gentile. He's, he's like, actually come in and be like, whoa, this is a whole new thing. I've never done this. And so Jesus says, no, here's what my church is going to reflect something different. All people are welcome, all races, all backgrounds, all these things. Um, so, What happens is Jerusalem council, they decide, right? They're like, okay, the Holy Spirit's filling the Gentiles, God's bringing them in. And this confirms in the book of Amos, this prophecy that in those times, God will rebuild David's tent and the Gentiles will come in. So here's how I want to connect this. What's fascinating is the vision of the church that ultimately connects where the Jews and Gentiles come together, all the world can be a house, uh, a house of prayer for the nations was David's tabernacle. What was David's tabernacle? It was basically 24-7 worship and prayer. It's this vision of David creating a central place for Israel to encounter God where everyone could come in. Everyone could be a part. And so I know you might be saying, well, why does this all matter? You can do this and that. And, and here's, here's what I would say. I think what I've, I've been interested to see is every time I've tried to intentionally build community, it's fallen apart. It's just, it's just true. Every time I've tried to intentionally, it's just like, oh, connect and do all this stuff. Because it's like I end up moving the pieces around. And I end up saying yes to some people and no to other people. And I start measuring. Anybody do this? How difficult is this person? So what I'd say is, if you have a group of people that meet together, if there's no difficult people in it, there's it's not church. And guess what? You're way more difficult than you realize. Like, (laughs) somebody didn't invite you to their group because they think you're difficult, right? And so it's this whole thing where you start to realize. So I I started like laughing because I'm like, if our church isn't messy enough that it would require a letter from an apostle, is it the church? And Paul's writing these letters, going like, "This, you guys are nuts! Like, this is crazy! It, it's almost like, no, no, no! Because if you if you get the real thing that Jesus wants, guess what? It's gonna get it's gonna get messy." Because people are going to come in and they're sinners, and you're, you're a sinner converted, and <laughs> we come from different backgrounds, and we have different cultures, and we do things in a different way. And you're like, why is that person raising their hands? Why are they jumping up and down? Why are they on their face? Why do you do communion this way? Why do, you know, it's like you just start like, and we're just working it out, and it's okay because the center of all this is Jesus. But here's, here's what I think, what I've seen happen. So I, I just ask myself my, my a question. Why does this all matter? Here's what I think. I think as we have organized the church more and more around the daily existence of American life, we have less and less reflected the heart of Jesus for the church. I think the more we've secularized and we've tried to re- reach people who are secularized by, by becoming like them, the church has shrunk more and more into smaller and smaller groups of people that become more and more alike. And they less and less reflect the heart of God for the church and for the world. And so what our heart has been is to be kind of like, well, what if we start doing this? What if we start making this table bigger and more expansive? What if we gather more in public places? And so here's, here's I, I just had this statement on my heart, like, and I just want to read it to you. Because I, I think it's true, but, no, I know it's true. I've, I've watched it happen. Never mind. I'll be more confident in that. And I just wrote this in my in my iPad this week. The problem is that we've been so captured by our culture that even our community can become an expression of radical individualism. Your community actually becomes an expression of the cultural value of individualism because you chose, you gathered, you decide, you're in charge rather than coming into a vision that that God has for all of us. And it's not like the people in the New Testament are like, see how they like one another isn't that cool? No, see how they love one another, because love's hard. <laughs> you, you have to love people through their difficulty and through their growing pains. And I've, I've been at this church for 15 years, and if you've been, how many, who's been here since the beginning? Where's Jefferson? There you go. We got a few people. You guys, you know, and, and this is, can I, can I, some advice, don't be offended when people tell you you've grown. <laughs> You're like, cause there's part of those like, they're like, oh man, you've grown. Wow. Which is kind of saying like, you used to be terrible at whatever you did before. But I, I can honestly say, if you sat down with Jefferson and said, have you seen Jonathan grow as a leader? He'd say, yeah. And you could say, did he need to grow? He'd say, yeah. <laughs> did he need to get better? Yeah. Could he be, could he lack gentleness? Was he overly opinionated? Could he not decide which direction the church should go and all this stuff? Did we wander around the desert for about 10 years? Yeah. Yeah. But friends, that's what the church is. And I I just, man, the people who have stayed through that, I just say thank you. Because it's hard to bear with people in their mistakes and failures. It's sin. It's really hard so easy to just recreate a new thing in a new place with new people and I can do that over and over again that's my nature and God has chained me to this church and said you're not getting out of here this is your place and your people and I've like made this commitment to God I was like God I want to be 85 on the front row on Wednesday nights worshiping Jesus with my friends that's my vision of success I don't want to divert. I don't want to leave when things get hard. I want to stick in this place with these people for a long time. Are there good reasons to leave places? Yes. Does God call you out? Yes. But man, it's good if you can stick it out. It's good if you can stick it out. Jesus didn't die to give us community, He died so that we could come into a family. And receive all that he has for us. So it's kind of this idea of wine and wineskins, and you're like, yeah, why does it all matter? Here's why this is so big on my heart. This chart is of uh, seven or eight major denominations, Christian denominations. You know anything about that chart? It's bad news, guys. (laughs) It's bad news. There's one in the in the center. I'll tell you what that one is afterwards, because I don't want to make too big a deal of it. But, uh, but guys, like the news about the Christian church in America is mostly bad news. And, and here's where I got to is like, uh, and John Tyson had this famous quote: uh, "If we're not careful, all we'll do is manage the decline of the Western church in our generation. We'll be on the ship as it goes down, <laughs> or." We can look and say, if the things we've been doing, so this is a chart from 1990, if the things we've been doing from 1990 aren't working anymore, maybe we should try something different. Maybe our wine skins need to be replaced. Well, maybe we need new wine. <laughs> and then likely, right, the scripture says we need new skins. We need different ways of gathering, different ways of being, different ways And really, guys, the new is really just old. I mean, it's new to us, but it's really old. Isaac ends up in Israel. He runs out of water. They're like, we're going to die. So what does he do? He finds the wells that Abraham dug and he cleans them out. because He's like, I know there's water there. So friends, there's traditions and ways of being Christians and ways of being the church that we are leaning into right now that they're, they're just old. They're just the wells that our grandparents dug and our great grandparents and the people before them not that complicated, but man, there's life in it when you'll give yourself to it. There's life in it when you give yourself to it. So I don't want to manage the decline (laughs) of the Western church. I want to see revival. I want to see the church beautiful. I want to see the church restored. So why do we center the church around beholding? Here's a core thing is because if our only goal is to see Jesus, to worship him, to glorify him, to magnify him, that means every single person in this room gets to play. Right? Everybody gets to participate. It says in Revelation, I've made them a kingdom and priests to God. If we organize ourselves in our own little circles, you know what starts to happen is you only get to play if you know how to interact with me. You only get to play if you can hold a conversation with a group of people around 12 people with a glass of wine and really be fun and never say anything awkward and never misspeak. And I, guys, I I feel like I'm really polite, but I'm an I'm an Enneagram 8, so I tend to make people mad. Like I just say things and I challenge people and so like so I, I just, I love this because I'm like, okay, I, I just spend a few moments and then we keep moving, right? Uh, so, but it's like this thing of what, what happens when we organize community in smaller and smaller and smaller places. Do you know who gets left out? The poor. People of different races. Right? And so what's happened is the church starts to look more and more wealthy, more and more white, more and more able with all the social conventions to to do all the things that we like to do that we see on TV that people do. What I see in our church is the more we create space for Jesus to be seen, loved, cherished, worshipped, our church starts to diversify. Our church starts to look different. We start to bring people in who actually need help. They actually might make a claim on my time, on my money, on my heart. And that's what Jesus called me to do, right? Now, he didn't call me to go out and create it. He's just says, hey, just build the kind of community where those people will show up. And guess what? You'll be able to feed the sick, you'll be able to visit the sick, feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty. You'll do all that. You'll just create the kind of community where, the, where people are who are desperate to be loved and known, where people who need help. So I've asked myself this question. Why are prosperity churches the most diverse churches in our country? And why are all the people who judge prosperity teachers, why are their churches not diverse? I don't really have an answer. (laughs) I've got a little one, but here's what I think. I think prosperity churches actually offer help. And they actually offer hope to people. Um, do I think they're right? No. Am I a prosperity preacher? No. That might cause you not to come back. That's fine. You're like, that guy's weird. Prosperity preacher. But I want to be the kind of church where people can show up who need help and need hope. And in that, they'll find friendships in ways that confound normal life. So we have people in this room who are connected in ways that are so beautiful. People who were formerly in prison, friends with people who run major corporations, right? People from all sorts of background, people who are, I mean, like if you look at our theological doctrinal background, we have everything. I mean, we have Catholic, Orthodox, Pentecostal, Southern Baptist, Church of Christ, Methodist. I mean, it's like uh, evangelical free. I mean, you can name it. We have all that represented here. And I love it because we're unified, even amongst all that. So our only thing is Jesus, just, just him. So I'm gonna invite the band to come back up. um so like I I know you might be asking okay, what now or or why so so here's here's my heart in this I and this is just I know this could just be my personal thing, right? so if this is from the Lord, take it and run with it. If you feel like it's not from the Lord, chuck it. it's great. We can still be friends. I grew up in a church that was open on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights. And anyone who wanted to walk in those doors was, could be part of that church. And, I, and I, there's something about my heart that desires to recover that kind of church. And and I think we're seeing it in this church as we open these doors and we say we know the church is not a building but guess what the church does have a building if the church has a building what should that building look like it should look like an open place and it should look like us coming out of our private spheres our homes into a public place where anyone is welcome and where we get to minister to people we get to love people we get to serve people not by our choice. Not like, oh, what, what do you like to do? I like to serve the homeless. What do you like to do? I like to do this. What do you like to do? I, I, I feel this passion, this pathway, this preference. We said, no, no, we just open the doors and whoever shows up can receive. And, and the thing is they can receive not just those kind of you know, physical needs and things like that, but they can actually receive the ministry of the presence of God in this place as we gather. And so that's my heart. I grew up with a church that you, you, you just showed up and whoever showed up was the church. And, and I went through this phase where I was like, oh, no, the church needs to be this or this or that, that. And I just felt like shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. And now I just want to kind of blow it up and say, what if we just kind of went back and, and we just kind of become old school church? Right? And that's what we've become. We're here on Sundays. We're here on Wednesday nights. I don't know. We may be here Sunday nights soon. We're open Mondays at noon. I'd love to be open every day at noon for worship and prayer. So let's pray. About that. I would love for this church just to be open for people to be here, to be known, to love each other. And, and honestly, you don't know it, but we have people praying in our prayer room Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Thursday morning. Um, we have a sozo ministry that's used all the time. We have a deliverance ministry that's used all the time. Mean, there's people in this building it's getting more and more life where people would say, where can I go to seek the Lord? And what I love is people are starting to say, oh, there's this church skyline. I heard that people there, like it's open a lot worship there a ton. Like we have people lots on Wednesday nights from other churches, and I love it. They're like, we're just here to worship. I'm like, good, because we're on the same team. I go back and tell your church, let's worship, this is awesome, right? Like don't stay here, <laughs> go back. So that, that's my heart. And, and, and again, um, I think God's heart is for there to be a place, and I love that, that, that book of Acts that they were in the temple courts daily. They were in homes, but they also found these ways to have public faith to make it available for people. But I just wrote this down. Jesus' disciples included a fisherman, tax collector, zealot, Pharisee, prostitute, demon-possessed, law scribes, Roman soldier, somebody from Herod's house, Gentiles, Jews, and then in the Acts, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Cretans, Arabs, Samaritans, former sorcerers. Guys, I think we're going to start seeing, like, you know how much witchcraft is in the world right now? I think we're going to see people coming out of that, into the church, going, like, guess what? I thought that was power, and then I met the Holy Spirit. Holy moly, there's power in the name of Jesus. There's an Ethiopian eunuch, right? So those who don't have families, you know what they have in the church? They have a family. They're included. They have dinner with friends and family. They live in people's spare bedrooms. They come in. A Gentile centurion, Greece, all this stuff. And, and what were they unified around? They were unified around Jesus, right? So I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to close your eyes and just bow your heads. And just take a second. does it reflect the kingdom of God or does it reflect the American way when you think about how you spend your time and who you spend it with does it look like the biblical testimony of Jesus. that those kinds of people from those kinds of backgrounds that we would gather together this thing where the world would marvel. The only way that thing would be is if God's real. Because those people would never just hang out. (laughs) No one else could form that kind of community. Not by a husband's decision or a human being's will. So I'm going to pray that and then we're just going to worship and sing. We'll take communion.